Thanks, Carol. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you've loved us first. That, God, that you weren't waiting around for us to get our act together. That, Lord, you weren't just uh, waiting on us to maybe figure out what we wanted to do or that we wanted to love you. God, we just thank you that your love was provided freely. That, God, your grace is abundant even in the midst of our failure. That, God, while we were still sinners, that you loved us. So, God, we just ask that we would return that love. That, God, we would, we would experience that love first and foremost, but then that we would return, reciprocate. God, we just ask that we would love you this evening. That, God, we would love hearing from you. God, we would love sitting and being still. So, God, we just ask that you would soften our hearts. God, you would soften our minds. That, Lord, you would shut out the distractions that are threatening to overtake us right now and instead let us focus entirely on you for just the next few minutes. That we would hear what you would have to say. God, I ask that you would shut out anything that I'm trying to bring in and of myself. That, God, you would kill any message that I want to deliver that instead this, these words would be completely from you. God, just get me out of the way. Lord, speak this evening. Lord, we all pray the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. That you would use this foolish preaching, God, to save those who believe. Spread your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God, let us just sit and think about those things. God, let us feel that love this evening. We pray this all according to your will. Amen. And grab a seat. And good evening. Well, I'm, I am so excited to be back with you guys. Uh, I was gone last week, as you might have known. If you were here, I was not. I apologize. I have a fruit basket for you in my car. Uh, but we are here this evening all together once again. And I am super duper excited about it because this evening uh, is basically what I wanted to share with you guys last week. Uh, before life happened. And so I I have this excellent, I would say, window that I'm going to be presenting you with this evening and a wonderful little just picture into the life of Jacob, which is me, in case this is your first time. My name is Jacob. And I am going to show you through a window, we're going to look into the past. Okay, we're going to look across time. We're going to see a relationship that has shaped me like no other relationship really ever has. Uh, I've been married uh, for just over four years. My wife and I have been together for just over seven years now, and she is my absolute bestest, most best friend. Okay, that goes without saying. We are soulmates and knit together in ways that I didn't even think were possible. Uh, I would much rather hang out with her than anyone else in the entire world. Uh, You're all great people, but... I'd rather be with my wife, uh, honestly. But you know, that, and that's okay, right? That's, that's why we got married. So I have that connection with her. She is my best friend. However, I have to admit that there is one other person right behind her, okay, in my heart on the ranking scale. There's one person just beneath uh, wife status, I guess we could assign. Uh, and that is a guy by the name of Ben Biles. Okay, now Ben Biles and I have been friends for almost 22 years now, and we began our relationship back in preschool. Okay, 
Now, Ben and I happened to go to the same school, and because we went to the same school and we lived in the same neighborhood, we became carpool partners. All right, so as we were going to school, to and from school every single day, we would have to interact with one another. We didn't know who each other were, but we were like, oh, what do you do, right? Like, huh, what's your, what is that, data entry, stock market? Cool. Like, we just kind of got caught up on what made the other person take, and we discovered that we, in fact, shared some common interests. We both loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the time. Still do, honestly. We both loved Power Rangers because, yeah. And we both loved making fun of his little brother, Sam, because Sam's the worst, okay? So we had these commonalities, and we became bonded. We became fast friends. And so we were friends from then onwards. But the truth is that, man, I was an Indian, and he was a pilgrim. So conflict was inevitable, right? Like at some point, there would be tension and clash in our relationship. It happened, you know, a variety of times. But there is one particular instance that I have recorded in historical documentation, a.k.a. uh, the diary that I thought was cool for a couple years to keep. And so I'm going to read to you Jacob Smith, age 8, entry in 1996, November 12th. I shared a little bit for just, you know, the historical record, what happened when Ben and I experienced some conflict, okay? So November 12th, 1996, and by the way, I noticed this morning that my journal had Indians on it, so what? That's pretty crazy. All right, so November 12th, 1996, I wrote, I got a new watch yesterday. It's really cool. I told Megan I liked her. I'm not sure she likes me anymore. (laughs) She didn't. She never did. I don't know what I was talking about. Third grade is boring. I know everything there is to know. (laughs) Not true. That's a lie. I sit by Wayne. He's okay. (laughs) Ben. Ben and I got in a fight yesterday. But. I still like him, sort (laughs) of. And that's what happened, man. I I can't really remember what the fight was about. I can remember the moment in my backyard where we got into a big argument and he left because we lived in the same neighborhood. So he was like, I'm going home and rode his bike home. I remember that moment. I can't remember why we fought, but I remember going to my journal, sorry, my journal (laughs) and wrote... (laughs) about the experience. But the reality is the, the great thing is that we made amends, right? That relationship was, was brought back together. We, we were able to reconcile and we're still friends to this day. But the truth is that we've all experienced conflict, right, in our friendships. But the reality is that a lot of times our relationships don't recover. A lot of times that we've had relationships completely fall apart because of conflict that we had. Because of conflict that arose maybe out of jealousy or pride or anger or maybe a romance or or maybe just apathy. We've had friendships that have dissolved right before our very eyes. Because of irreconcilable differences. We've had people burn us. Or we have attacked someone else so viciously. These people that we called friends. And I see it, man, I I worked in youth ministry for a number of years. I saw it daily. And every single time I I just have to stop and ask myself, man, why, 
why is this happening? Like, why is this occurring in Christians' lives, in people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ? Why do our relationships look like that? Why does that happen in our friendships? Because I know that can't be the right thing, right? I know that that's not what God intended for friendships, for them to get dissolved and broken apart. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be some sort of goal that we can shoot for that's not what we've experienced. What I love is that we see this friendship, this type of friendship, this goal in friendship in the life of David. Man, we've been talking about David all semester, and we're going to continue talking about David for the rest of the semester. So if you're tired of David, sorry. (laughs) We've been talking about David all semester. And we've been looking at what made David a man after God's own heart. What designed him? What kind of built him up to this point where God looked at him and he said, you above all other people are a man after my heart. You get me, David. What made him like that? What were the pieces that built him into that man? I want us to understand through looking at his stories and through looking at his Psalms, what made him into that person? Because I want that heart and I want you to have that heart. And we've been looking at David's responses to a lot, of different, a lot of different circumstances. We've looked at his response to sin. We've looked at his response to foolishness. We've looked at his response to loss or darkness. But this evening, we're going to look at his response to friendship. We're going to look at a strong friendship in David's life. The friendship that probably helped kind of get his mind to the point where he wrote Psalm 133 that Carol read just a minute ago. Psalm 133, which tells us that when we are in fellowship together, when we share fellowship with one another, it is a pleasing aroma. It's like oil spreading all over Aaron's beard. Okay, it's weird terminology, but he, he's describing this idea that there's this oil, this good smelling aroma that was offered up to the Lord. And he's saying, and there's so much of it. There's so much oil that's just like spilling out. And Aaron's just like, like drowning in oil. Because there's so much. He says that's what good fellowship is like for the Lord. He says great friendships bring great glory to God. He says, I love friendships. I value friendships. I love fellowship. Why? Because it brings great glory to God. Because it's a pleasing aroma to our Lord. And David could say those things because he experienced one of the greatest friendships we've ever seen. With a guy named Jonathan. So if you have your Bible, you're going to want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, where David and Jonathan first meet, right? So they have this amazing relationship that we're going to kind of uh, take a kind of a flyby with this evening. We're going to look at kind of the beginning, the middle, and the end of their relationship with one another. And as we kind of cruise by and get this big kind of big picture view of their relationship, of their friendship, I want us to start at the very beginning. How did their relationship even begin? How did that friendship start up? So let's go back, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, to the very beginning, if you will, okay? I was excited about that one. Now, as soon, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul But Saul took David that day, would not let him return to his father's house. So then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him 
as his own soul. When we see David and Jonathan first meet each other, this is right after David defeated Goliath. Okay, he just came off of this huge victory, this huge like battle victory where he's just a hero for all the land. And he walks off the field and he goes to see Saul and he sees Saul's son, Jonathan. Immediately the Bible uses this incredible terminology saying that their souls were knit together. They were bonded immediately. Why? Right, this sounds a little strange. Like I doubt many of us have been in that moment where we like, walk into a room and we're like, you are my bestie forever, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Why were they bonded so immediately? It's because they saw in each other kindred spirits. They realized, Jonathan realized when he saw David, when he saw this warrior, he said, wow, David, you are a mighty warrior and so am I. Jonathan was a warrior. If you were the son of the king, if you were the oldest son of the king, you were called to be a battle commander, right? Jonathan, even though he was young, probably about you know, 16 or so, he was already fighting in battles. He was commanding men. He was a warrior. And he sees David out on the battlefield bring out this huge victory. And he says, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we get each other, right? Like we are brothers in arms. Because the reality is that our relationships, our strongest friendships always come from a shared focus. Our strong friendships always come from a shared focus. For David and Jonathan, that was battle. For Ben and myself, right back to the world of Ben and Jacob, we see that our shared focus was originally kindergarten, right? Or or school or Thanksgiving, probably. We both loved Thanksgiving, all right? But that focus eventually changed, right? We had those things in common, but we discovered over time that we had a lot of other shared focuses. We both enjoyed, our dads both enjoyed model rocketry. And so we were like, okay, let's go do that. And so we went out with our dads to launch rockets. And his, look, his little brother's holding a rocket in his mouth. The worst, right? Okay, so... <laughs> So we would go out and we would do these things together, right? We discovered eventually we had a shared enjoyment of music. We liked the same music. We went and performed at his uh, sister's wedding just for fun. And it was so fun because we enjoyed the same music. We loved playing music together. We discovered that we both had a love of uh, seeing giant M&M statues, right? Why not? We both had an enjoyed love of helping with Grace Youth, right? We were both leaders. We would host events and stuff for Grace Youth. So we would do ridiculous things and dress up like, I, I don't know, hunting pirates and chefs. Like we, we would do these things for their sake. This was for one of their events. We had these shared focuses. We had a shared uh, interest in going to Harry Potter book premieres, right? The midnight premieres. We would meet really creepy kids dressed up like Death Eaters. It was really disturbing, okay? But we would go to these things. We had these shared focuses with one another, that's why we eventually had a shared focus. We both enjoyed hanging out with Susan, my wife. Man, I met her the beginning of my freshman year of college. And the three of us would hang out all the time. We both enjoyed spending time with her, right? I enjoyed it a little bit more, which is why I married her, right? So that's how that works, in case you didn't know. But we, we had these shared focuses. That's what created our relationship. And all of us, man, we've, we've been there. Maybe you have a shared focus of stories. Maybe you like the same movies or TV shows or, or books. Maybe you have a shared interest, uh, a shared like sports. You both like to play the same sport. You both like to watch the same sport. Maybe you have a shared interest in school. You're the same major or you're in the same organizations. 
right? We have a shared focus. That's how relationships start. That's how friendships start. You have a shared focus, which leads to a strong friendship. But see, the truth is, what, what happens is that a lot of times these shared focuses, they end, right? Eventually, that show is going to go off of the air. I watched Lost. <laughs> it was big when I was in college. We, we, lo- we watched it with a bunch of friends. Every week, we're like, oh, man, what's going to happen? Whoa. Little did we know, it was not going to make any sense. But we were like, man, something's going to happen, right? But eventually, after six seasons, that show, it was over. It was over. At some point, your show's going to end. At some point, your sports season's going to be over. At some point, you're going to graduate. You're going to leave that organization. You're going to stop being that major. You're going to switch majors. And what's so tragic is that oftentimes when those interests dissolve and go away, many times we've seen in our lives that our friendships that were based on that, man, those went away as well. Because our friendships are about looking forward. That's why I love, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book called Four Loves that I accidentally skipped past. Where he's describing what friendship looks like. He's talking about different loves in this book. He talks about uh, kind of the different loves we experience in our life. He talks about the love of friends. And he says that lovers are face-to-face, right? My wife and I, we're face-to-face. We're like, oh, hey. But friends, friends are side-by-side, looking ahead. He says this is why the pathetic people who simply want friends never make any. He says the very condition of having friends is wanting something other than friends. Friendship must be about something, even if it is just dominoes or white mice. I, which is the strangest example he could possibly give. He had weird friends or something, I don't know. But we see this idea that our friendships are about something, right? A strong friendship is a sh- it comes from a shared focus. A friendship is where I look to my side, I'm like, oh, oh you, you too? Cool. And we chase that focus. But unfortunately, so many of our focuses, they go away, they end. So hear me now, please. When you're in a time of your life where you can just invest in so many friendships and so many relationships in ways that you will never be able to ever again, let me just promise you right now that the only focus that lasts, man, the only focus that's going to take your friendship beyond now is Jesus Christ. The only focus that is eternal is both of you realizing that you're sinners and that the only solution to that sin, the only solution to that evil, that that bad stuff in your life is putting your trust into the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only focus that will stay true and constant no matter what city you live in, no matter who someone gets married to, no matter what jobs you take, no matter what major you're in, no matter how many kids you have or all these different things, it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is the only constant. He's the one focus that never ends. But if that's where relationships start, okay, if that's the beginning, where does it go? If we start from a shared focus, where does it head from there? When we look at David and Jonathan, what we see in them are three key qualities, kind of three key characteristics that defined their friendship. We see them provide for one another. 
We see them protect one another, and we see them pray for one another. We see them provide right off the bat, okay? Right in 1 Samuel 18, just verse 4, okay? We just read 1 through 3. Verse 4, we see Jonathan immediately strip himself of the robe that was on him and give it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Right, verses one through three told us David was going, to, he was just on a cheese run, right? He was at the battle just because he was delivering stuff. But Saul, he wins the battle. Saul says, why, wow, I need you with me. I'm gonna take you with me to these battles. I'm gonna make you be in my court and do all these things. But David's like, I don't have a suitcase. Like he doesn't have anything with him, right? All he had was cheese and that's, someone already ate it. So he's like, oh, what? And so Jonathan sees him and he sees that need. And so he says, hey, I got stuff. And immediately we see Jonathan provide. We see him sacrifice for David. Not only does he say, oh, I have like all these clothes in my camel box. I don't know. Not only do we see him just give him things, he, he sacrifices, right? He gives him his own robe. He gives him his own armor, his sword, his bow, right? His belt. And David's like, no, keep the belt. Don't, don't worry about it. Just, oh, okay. Right? And we see him give David all the things that he had on him. Because great friends, they sacrifice, they provide for one another. In the life, in the tale of Ben and Jacob, what we see, what we see looking back through time was a moment when Jacob met Susan, right? So my wife and I met beginning of freshman year of college and we would hang out. And I would want to not only hang out with my, you know, then love interest, I would also want to hang out with my doormate, Ben, my best friend. We had joined a bunch of different things together. We were already kind of in the same circles. And so I want to spend time with Ben, but I also want to spend time with Susan. I didn't really know how to make it work. And so eventually I just decided, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to make it. I'm always going to arrange things to where we can just all of us sort of hang out together at the same time. Okay, the three of us. And so I did that. And I kind of thought that I had been really sneaky about it. And maybe like Ben hadn't noticed that he was like the third wheel guy, right? Like I was hoping... Because he was always really happy about it and always fine. And I was like, oh, this is great that no one feels awkward. Cool, right? And I just assumed, wow, good job, Jacob. You're the puppet master, right? I just assumed that for years, <laughs> for three and a half years. And it was fine. Eventually, he started dating someone else freshman year of college too. So it's all good. But, but then they broke up. So, oh, well. But so we, <laughs> so we just maintained that course, right? We all hung out together. I didn't really think anything of it until my wedding, until the day of my wedding, Ben was my best man, gave his best man speech, and he admitted for the first time in three and a half years, admitted, hey, yeah, so Jacob and Susan and I would all hang out together, the three of us, and man, it felt really weird. It was really awkward. It's like, man, I, I felt like the third wheel, right? I felt kind of uncomfortable. Jacob always had this way of getting us all together. The three of us said one time, he's like, I, I don't know how he did it, but he, he did. And he's like, it was weird at first. But he went on to say, man, it was strange, but I learned to just embrace it. Said, you know, it was weird for maybe like a month, but after that I decided, you know what? I'm the third wheel, but that just makes us a tricycle. (laughs) We're the tricycle. And you can't have a tricycle without a third wheel. And so he decided in his mind that he was going to sacrifice for me. He decided in his mind, without even telling me, freshman year of college, that he was going to give of himself. He was going to feel awkward. He was going to bite that bullet for my sake. Because he understood that I didn't have time for both of them individually. So he knew, okay, let's just, let's all hang out together. I'm going to sacrifice 
in this way. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to point it out. I'm going to keep it hidden until your wedding. <laughs> and I'm going to admit we were the tricycle. Right? That's so awesome. That's sacrifice because great friends, they sacrifice. We see this in scripture. We see Jesus Christ telling us that greater love has no one than this, that he's someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ, God on earth, told us the most incredible love you can exhibit. The best way to demonstrate your love for someone else is to sacrifice for them, to give of yourself, to lay down your own desires, your own needs for your friend. And when was the last time your friend came to you with an issue and you just brushed them off? When was the last time that you thought about sacrificing but decided it was too inconvenient? When was the last time maybe you just you went to someone with an issue and they just brushed you off? Gosh, the Bible calls us as Christians to sacrifice for our friends, but oftentimes we don't. But thankfully, we don't just sacrifice and provide. We also have protection, right? We have another shot. We can look at the life of David and Jonathan, and we see that they were protecting one another. When David is on the run, Saul's chasing him. He goes to Jonathan and tells Jonathan, hey, man, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, don't worry, I got this. And so he goes to see his dad, and he talks to him in 1 Samuel 19. He says, he spoke well of David to Saul, his father said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David because David has not sinned against you because his deeds have brought good to you. David took his life in his hands and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. Dad, you saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Jonathan knows his dad's nuts. Jonathan knows his dad is literally the most powerful person in the country. He is king. And yet Jonathan stands up to his dad to protect the reputation of David. Because great friends protect one another. They stand up. They guard the other person's back. They guard their friend's reputation, their name. When Ben and I were in, not this time, but when we were about 11. Our families were hanging out. Our parents love to play bridge together uh, because they've, my parents have apparently always been 95 years old, just secretly. And they would play bridge. And so our families would all be hanging out, Ben and myself. And we both have little siblings about the same age. His little brother, Sam, is the same age as my little sister named Hannah. And so we thought that this one night would be really hilarious if we trapped Sam in the same room as Hannah and her friend that was over for the evening. And so we locked Sam into the room with these girls. They're all the same. They're all like nine. And Ben and I just thought it was hilarious because it was when you're 11. And so we locked him in the same room, ran away. And Sam eventually escaped somehow. I don't know. And he found us. So he came outside. We're out on the driveway. The same kind of comes up. He starts confronting Ben. He's like, I can't believe you locked me in the room with those girls. And you know they have cooties. And he's, I need all those shots. And, and he's really upset. 
And he's telling Ben, I'm going to tell on you. I mean, I'm going to tell every, I'm going to tell mom and dad, you're going to get in so much trouble. And Ben gets really fired up, man. He gets incensed. He's just like, what? No, you, and Ben had an anger issue at that time. And so he gets really mad and worked up at Sam. He's like, oh, you can't tell on me for doing something really mean. And so he pushes Sam, right? He physically accosts him. And so Sam kind of reels back. He's like, huh? And then he comes back at him. So then they kind of like, you know, they're 9 and 11. So they're, ah, right? For like a minute. And they're both like, oh, out of breath. And so then Sam runs inside. He runs, finds the parents. Parents get us, bring us inside. We're all standing in front of the parents. And they're asking us. They're like trying to get to the bottom of it. They're like, you, you boys need to get along, right? Brothers are forever. Brothers are forever. Like, and be nice. And, and they've tried to figure out the, what happened. And so they're asking Ben, Sam. Sam keeps insisting, Ben pushed me first. And Ben keeps insisting, no, Sam attacked me first. And I'm standing in the middle and they think, oh, well, Jacob's an objective third party. And so they ask me, Jacob, what happened? I say, did Sam push Ben first? And I knew that he didn't. We all know, right? But in that moment, I looked at my friend Ben, and I saw him just, (laughs) and so I said, yes, yes, Sam attacked him viciously, biting, right? Like, he's bad, right? I totally lied. I totally ratted Sam out, and that's not really a good thing to do, right, lying, but my heart was in the right place, right? In In my heart of hearts. What I wanted was to protect my friend. What I wanted was to provide a safe haven. I wanted to guard my friend. I wanted to guard my brother. I wanted to stand up for him in the presence of people that were attacking him. When we look in scripture, we see this charge and this challenge that we should be honoring and respecting and building up one another. Paul tells the Colossians, to put on then as God's chosen ones, okay, so the whole congregation, he tells them all holy and beloved to have compassionate hearts, to have kindness, humility, meekness, patience, to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So as above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul tells the Colossians, look, as believers, as God's chosen ones, you should be exhibiting these qualities amongst each other, right? He's not saying this is how you should go out and be to the world, but when you're together, like whatever, push each other in the driveway, it doesn't matter, right? He says, no, with each other, you should be humble and meek and patient, forgiving, loving, building each other up. For the sake of the body. We are called as Christians to guard, protect our friends. To build and encourage and love. But man, when was the last time you heard someone say something about that friend and you just totally agreed? Or the last time that you made some sort of snarky remark about someone... Maybe in your whole group of friends, you singled out that one person because it was funny to point out how much of an idiot they were. And when was the last time that you just said something because you had this bitterness, this unforgiveness in your heart, and just took it out on your friend? And the truth is that we fail. We fail at protecting our brothers. 
our sisters, our friends. But we also have a chance to pray for each other. Right? When we look in David and Jonathan's life, they weren't only providing and protecting, they were also praying both for and with one another. Look at the very, one of the very last times that they interact with each other. It's in 1 Samuel 23. And Jonathan is going to David because David's on the run, right? Da- Saul's chasing him for like the 50 billionth time. So David's on the run and he's down, man. He's depressed. He's worried that he's going to get killed. And so Jonathan goes to him. In 1 Samuel 23, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan... Saul's son rose, went to David at Horish, strengthened his hand in God. Strengthened his hand in God. Other translations will say he encouraged David in God. The idea that Jonathan didn't just go out to David and was like, hey man, it's going to be all right. Like, you'll be okay, you big old slugger. He goes to David and encourages him in God, meaning he prayed with David. He prayed for David. He reminds David, hey, I know these things are terrible. I know all this stuff is going on. I know my dad is insane. He's trying to kill you again. But David, God is bigger. God is greater. God has promised to make you king. So David, trust in God. Let me encourage you. Let me strengthen you in God. Because no matter how much Jonathan wanted to provide in that moment or protect in that moment, he realized that ultimately David couldn't rely on just on Jonathan. David had to rely on God. So Jonathan prayed for David, strengthened him in God. Our last look at the tale of Ben and Jacob. (laughs) This was last week. The other pictures were older, so that's why we look different now. I'm the one on the left, for sure. Because I'm, I'm grizzly, okay? But we, we have prayed for one another. Man, over the years, Ben and I have prayed for one another. A week ago, I was out, right? I wasn't here. I wasn't standing here talking with you guys, getting to see you guys as much as I wanted to be here. I couldn't be here because my grandfather died. My grandfather died like a week and a half ago. I got a call on Thursday night. He had had brain surgery a couple days before, bleeding his brain, didn't work, and he he died. Man, when I got that call, I was crushed. I mean, it had kind of been a long time coming, but he was a believer, so I know he's in heaven. I know he's in rest and in splendor with Jesus Christ. I know he's with his wife, but it still hurt. I still grieved. And thankfully in that moment, I had my wife, Susan, was with me and we got to talk and process and just sort of grieve together and we had to work out a bunch of details and we thought, okay, well, where are we going to go? And, you know, I'm going to have to drop that class that I was going to try to go up and take uh, in in Houston and we're just going to, you know, have to move these things around so we can go out of of state to get to the funeral. And and as we're getting all these pieces together, as soon as we kind of lined up our plan for the weekend and I got a sub for here and I just had these things worked up, man, I realized... I mean, my very next thought was, ah, I need to tell Ben. I need, to, I need to tell Ben, not because I needed to process with Ben or like talk about it with him. I, I needed to tell him because I knew that he'd want to know. So a few days later, 
we got a chance to talk, but I didn't call him. Instead, he called me. Because he'd found out, because our families are close, his parents had found out. I hadn't had a chance to call him, but he called me, and he told me, man, I'm so sorry to hear about Papa, man. I'm sorry to hear about your granddad. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you all weekend. Because Ben knew that it didn't matter what he said, it didn't matter what he did. You know, there wasn't any sort of magical conversation that we could have that would just be like, awesome. He knew that ultimately we rely on God above all other men, all other women. He realized what we talked about at the very beginning. That the only focus that truly lasts is Jesus Christ. That's why we pray for each other. That's why we see in Scripture that we should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Alert with all perseverance. Making supplication, meaning we should be praying for all the saints. And then Paul says, you also need to pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It says, Ephesus, pray for me. Pray for each other. We see James telling the church to therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Paul, James, all of our scripture will tell us we need to be praying for one another. Why? Because they are reinforcing the very first thing we talked about, that the only focus that matters, the only focus that lasts is Jesus Christ. And not just studying Jesus Christ, right? The focus that matters isn't that we both like sit down and read our Bibles and go through and make 10 observations and three interpretations, right? Those things are good, but that's not what I mean. Our focus needs to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship, a personal relationship. One of the profs at the seminary that I attend called Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, one of the guys, one of the like, super brilliant profs is a guy named Dan Wallace. Dan Wallace is a Greek professor and he knows like all this crazy stuff and he's written all these books he has this like one textbook that everybody uses all about greek so man he's like getting into manuscripts and he's finding stuff and he's breaking the bible apart and man he you talk about an academic approach to scripture he's got it down and that's great it's a brilliant man loves the lord but what he admitted at one point he wrote this article that i'm about to quote he wrote this article because of an experience that he had in his life where his son was diagnosed at the age of eight, his son was diagnosed with this rare form of cancer. And it just shook Dr. Wallace to his core. He didn't know what to do. He was a believer, so he went to the Lord to find comfort or solace or something. And he went to the Lord and he found nothing. Because he, in his own words, described himself In that moment, he realized that he himself had become a Christian from the neck up. Meaning that he had entirely intellectualized God. He says, though this experience, being finding my son, you know, my son getting diagnosed with cancer. Through this experience, I found that the Bible was not adequate. He says, I needed God in a personal way. 
Not as an object of my study, but as a friend, a guide, comforter. I needed an existential experience of the Holy One. Quite frankly, I found that the Bible was not the answer. Since I found the scriptures to be helpful, even authoritatively helpful as a guide. It says, but without my feeling God, the Bible gave me little solace. I believe that I had depersonalized God so much that when I really needed him, I didn't know how to relate. Catch that. He's not saying that God didn't, couldn't relate to me or was punishing me. He says, I, I didn't know how to relate. God was still there. God was faithful, but I didn't know how to relate. I had depersonalized him. So when I tell you that your number one focus needs to be a relationship with Jesus Christ, please don't make it just an academic study. Please don't make it just a thing that you kind of check off on every survey that you take. Please make it a personal relationship. Because if you are going to Christ as your friend and as your comforter, as your guide, you will find in that relationship that Jesus Christ is the greatest friend you could ever have. You will find that he already provided for you. He provided salvation through the ultimate sacrifice of his death on the cross. You'll find that he didn't only provide for you, you'll find that he protects you today from temptation, from the world. He tells us there's no temptation too great that God will always give us a way out. Jesus Christ tells us we don't need to be afraid of anything in this world because he has overcome the world. He protects us. And it tells us in scripture that he prays for us. Hebrews tells us that currently Jesus Christ is our high priest up in heaven, interceding on our behalf. Jesus Christ right now is going before the throne of God, making requests and prayers for you. He's praying for you. And it's only when we focus on that relationship, it's only when we experience that friendship that we are able to extend that friendship to someone else. It's only when I experience that provision and that protection and that prayer that I'm able to extend it to someone else around me. So my challenge to you, my charge this week is to go first and foremost and experience that relationship. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ for the the forgiveness of your sins, that's step one. If you don't know how that works, you should talk to me. Talk to the friend that maybe brought you here. Step two, you need to be pursuing him. With time in the word, right? With time in prayer. Those things are good, right? Wallace says they're, they're helpful as a guide, but... You need to be going to him, talking to him, understanding that you have a relationship with him. And then once you've experienced that friendship, go out and extend it to someone else. Don't just come to a church or a Bible study or whatever organization. Don't come and just sit and wait for someone to come be a friend to you. Don't come and just sit and be like, ah, no one's being friendly or no one's providing for me or no one's protecting me. Go do it. Go initiate. Take that first step. Go extend that friendship that you've experienced. One of the best ways you can do that, honestly, this worked out perfectly. One of the best opportunities for that, as of today, 
you can apply to be a leader in Grace College, in our small groups. You can fill out, you can go on our website, fill an application for an opportunity not to just go and like tell people, no, this is what James says. Like that's not the goal. The goal is that you go and you shepherd, that you're a friend to those other students in your group. You're a friend to a bunch of freshmen if you're leading in Dulos, which I hope you do because it's awesome. You're a friend to those freshmen who, God help them, need friends. You're a friend to those sophomores and juniors and seniors if you go into normal growth groups. You're a friend to the community at large if you go and join a servant team. You're extending that friendship that you've experienced from Jesus Christ. You're extending it to these people around you. How amazing would it be if Grace, Bible Church, college students were known to be this type of friend? This was our calling card. How incredible would that be? What kind of impact would that have on our campus and our city? Experience that friendship and extend it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you loved us first. That God, that you gave us provision and protection and prayer first. God, we just ask that you would empower us to extend that friendship to someone else. Lord, we just pray that we wouldn't be so caught up in in our own uh, worries and desires that we would be shutting out these people who are in need all around us. If you would, just take a moment right now, ask the Lord to give you a face or a name to show you right now someone that you could be a friend to this week. Someone that you know you haven't been extending sacrifice or protection or prayer towards. If you would ask, ask that the Lord would somehow give you the strength and the, the motivation and a reminder to, to go and, and move towards that person this week, to reach out in some way. Ask the Lord to show you, maybe give you an opportunity to do that or give you an idea right now. Ask the Lord for that in this moment. And if you would take just this last moment to to pray for that friend. Just right now, I don't, I don't know what that friend is dealing with or, or what's going on, but ask the Lord to, to show you what needs to be prayed for. Just pray for that person right now.